I'm Sarah Shadnix, and this is how you sell without selling out. Rogers That. Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers, and welcome to Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And today we have someone who has sold a lot but has not sold out in the process. I started doing this podcast because I wanted to go and share the story of people I respect the most. I wanted to edify great leaders and their great stories. But really, today is about someone who's done it the right way for the right reasons with the right people, which is an incredible combination when you want to go and model yourself after a great founder and a great leader. Sarah, a newer friend, Sarah Shadnix, is the founder of Scout and Seller. It is um, way more than a wine company, way more than a coffee company. It is a, it's a way of life and it's how you treat people. Uh, some fun facts about Sarah, she has a background in legal, background in being a wife and a mom above all other things and she decided to disrupt an industry literally thousands of years old. Jesus drank wine, Jesus made wine, which means I can drink it too. Until after this podcast, we're gonna have a little sampling. But with all that being said, Sarah and her family currently have over 16,000 people representing her brand, Scout and Seller. I first heard about this company a few years back from Mallory Martin and uh, Taylor Bowles, who are dear friends, and it was just such a easy fit for a guy with a background in real estate. I was like, this is it, bullseye. She's got something, uh, got a tiger by its tail. And so today, Ter Sarah is going to go and share how in just four years, she has built a literal empire, 16,000 people representing her vision in less than four years. So with all that being said, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. But before we get started, please make sure everyone sees your shoes. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Rogers. Yeah. I, I would love that. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know how those. to... Uh, good. Air <laughs> Jordans with, with, with some shine. But Always. Yeah. It took me like eight takes to get the intro because I wanted to knock it out of the park. But I, I'm sure I missed something. But like, who is Sarah? Who is, who is Sarah Shadnick's? Well, you, you did an awesome job. Thank really? you. I love the I love the shout out to Jesus and yeah. you know he, you know he, he he looked at water and he's like I can do better. Yeah, I can do better. Right? Let's make this wine. I, and then why can't we turn Waterloo into wine? <laughs> that, well, that was gonna. Maybe, let's put it on the roadmap. Look at that. Okay, Waterloo. If you're watching, this might turn into wine. But yeah, who, who give us the background? A, a Dallas girl that you know found her way to the the law world and then all of a sudden you're a, a wine titan. Ex well, thank you for that. Yeah. Great intro, Rogers. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, I love what you're doing and why you're doing it. Thank so you. glad to be included. So thank you. Thank you. Can I have some money? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, thank How you. about wine? How about okay, wine? Proof. How about wine? wine? Okay, proof. wine and some coffee, right? Yeah. Um, so who, who is Sarah? I grew up in Dallas, but when I was about 10, my parents moved us to a farm. Mm. And so that really, really, really impactful on me as a as a kid, but also me as a now entrepreneur. Grew up, so grew up in kind of my formative years on this farm in North Texas. Um, trees, cows, fish, uh, gardens, animals, like, you know, fi fi painting fences, fixing fences, and really seeing what, like, um, the impact of growing things and dying and the life cycle and, and kind of neighbors contributing. And, and it really had a profound impact on how I view family life and, and how I view the world. What were your thoughts on the Lion King soundtrack and Elton John's Circle of Life song? Was that playing a lot as a kid? Uh, not as much as the intro song. Really? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, but you were doing it. It was like literally a perfect lead into the Circle of Life. Anyway, so so back to, again, what you, you grew up from the city to the farm and mm -hmm. you saw things grow and die and like people living off the land literally. And that just kind of sets you up mentally it, forever. And here's the thing. Like the farm is like so many things in life. If you take care of it, it takes care of you. If you take care of it, it takes care of you. Huh. And so I, that was something that I really... Uh, th How old were you when you started thinking like that? I think I, you know, a teenager. Hmm. You know, you trim the trees, you trim the fences, the, 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 you know, the, you take care of the cows that live there. 
and by doing those things, the cows are living a better life. And then when you go to harvest them and enjoy them, they're taking care of you. Can I ask you a random cow question? And I just sure. I learned this last week. I was last week years old when I heard this. Do you know that cows, you can't just milk them all year long? I didn't know that, actually. I didn't either. Okay, well, I thought you, supposedly you can only milk them right after they have delivered. Huh, I didn't know that. Like a human. Wow. You did, yeah, I didn't know this either. I know this. I'm sure that I'm wrong, but I really trusted the guy that told me this, and he sold it hard, and he's from London, which it just sounded real. Did you Google it? No, I just, I, that's how trusting I am. <laughs> I I'm love it. I'm not joking. Your, may, your, may not, not, your name might not even be Sarah, but you be, you, you're so believable. But anyway, back to back to living off the land, and yeah. if you take care of that, it takes care of you. So so that was, that was you know, that was really important in, in my journey. Um, and then went off to college on the East Coast, went to law school in Arizona. Richmond. The University of Richmond yeah, ran track. Spiders. Oh, yeah, okay. spiders. Thank you for that. Ran track all four years. Cool. Um, what was your event? The 400 meter. Wow. Okay. One lap. One cool. dead sprint. Don't die. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you want to. Yeah. But it's a good event. I loved it. Cool. Um, and then went to law school in Arizona, um, at Arizona State. Got to be outside, play some golf, hike, and then study. And I loved that. That was a good place to be. And did you think you had your life figured out? Like you're like, I know what the next 30 years looks like. I'm going to law school. I'm going to practice corporate law. This is it? Um, I did. I did think I had it figured out as much as anybody who's 22 can, 25 can. So met my husband in law school. And exactly. And we got married right before, right after the bar exam, moved back to Dallas. And I started practicing law. What kind of law? I was a commercial litigator, which means I did trial work for businesses that had issues. Was that fun? I liked it, actually, because it was just problem solving and helping businesses through problems. Which is, which is a, a really um, mature mindset. I think a lot of people that are potentially doing their second act or a different career are very resentful of their first, but it seems as though maybe that sets you up for significant success to scale and think differently as a first-time founder. It was, it was good. You know, it, lawyers are trained to problem solve and issue spot, and that, was, that served me really well as an entrepreneur. And a couple of things happened. We, ha- we have two kids now. They're 13 and 10. And after our 10-year-old daughter was born, I decided to stop practicing law for a number of reasons, but mostly because I had this deep-seated passion to pursue um, a curiosity for wine. Hmm. And that kind of started back when I was a kid. There was always wine on the dinner table, and it's an agricultural product. It's something that's grown, not made. And to make wine, you have to. It takes a lot of passion. It's typically made by families, and and, and it's a, a grown product. And did, that. Did you guys have a vineyard on your farm as a kid? No, but we grew fruits and vegetables, and 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 would eat them. And so, and my dad would talk kind of romantically about the process of winemaking. And I'd been to some vineyards as a kid. Cool. Or seen them. I didn't go to them like my parents didn't take me, but I'd seen them. But then, kind of what prompted Rogers, my real distinct curiosity in wine, was when I was in law school. I met this Frenchman. Um, and it's kind of an interesting story. So when, when I was in law school, my husband was studying over in London and I went over to meet him and we did like the, you know, the 20 mid early twenties backpacking thing oh, cool. where you have no money and you, you go around for a week or two. And, um, during our last part of the trip where we, you know, camped in tents, we hiked in the Swiss Alps, we ate like loaves of bread from the store and apples and peanut butter jars, you know, jar, peanut butter out of jars. We had we were yeah. in school. We had no but money. But also, this wasn't Mrs. Barrett's bread. This was probably like really. It really, was some baguette, some baguettes. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. Good. like fancy La Madeleine. Exactly. Yeah, so but like made by the guy down the street. Gourmet backpacking. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But still on on a shoestring budget. Hmm. And our last night, we were in Paris, and we decided to splurge and go to some brasserie, which is basically like a fancy little, um, you know, d- diner. I literally never knew what that meant. I thought it was a place to buy lingerie. Yeah, it's a fancy diner. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Wow. 
So we went to this brasserie and we sat outside and it was this picture perfect night. You've had these on vacation, especially when you're young. Vacation. I know. Well, we'll talk about that later. Maybe you need to take some. And we're sitting at this little table and there's one of those little table tents on the table and it's recommending this bottle of wine. And so I said, well, let's get this magnificent bottle of wine. So we order it. And again, caught up in the magic of the, of the vacation. It's the best bottle of wine I'd ever had. So we have this magical dinner, and then we fly home, and we return to reality. So I get back to the United States. This is 2004. So I'm like, I have had to... You, were you a wine drinker at that point? I mean, a little did bit. Did you understand it? A little bit, yeah. I had some curiosity. So I get back to the United States, and I'm like, I have to find this wine and recreate this magic. Hmm. So I, the internet was around at the time. So I go on the internet, and there's one place in the United States that carries that bottle of wine. And it's a little wine shop in Dallas, Texas. No way. Still so around? I, I called him up on the phone. And this lady answers, and I said, do you have this wine? And she said, well, yes, we do. And I said, I cannot believe you have this wine. And she said, I can't believe you know about this wine. No way. <laughs> so she threw some sass at me. The wine shop was called Le Cave. It was founded in the early 70s by a Frenchman and his wife, Francois and Chandu. I don't okay. know if you know them, but they're a longstanding yeah, guys. Like, I think in my head, I literally was like, who do I know? That I was like, I literally went for it, but I do they, not know They them. actually sold it. My husband helped them sell the wine shop a couple of years ago when they retired. No way. Um, they became dear lifelong friends of ours, like, like, like a second father and mother. Um, and Francois is a wine expert. He grew up in Bordeaux, France. And um, so he became my wine mentor. No way. And opened wines for me that I would never have tasted, taught me about wine, and really sparked a curiosity for not only wine, but the business of wine. So you're doing this before, Bef- while you're still practicing in law. School. law. And then oh, all while through, you're in law school. while I'm in law school, and then all through my time as a lawyer. Wow. So that's really kind of stirring my interest in and curiosity of, of wine is because of this friendship and this mentorship that I had. So what, like in, in the world of, uh, of wines, the, is a sommelier, the, is that the end all be all to be that's, able to That's like that? saying like a chef. He's, that's like a professional wine gotcha. person that has some credentials. So, so after I stopped practicing law, after my daughter was born, I wanted to go work in the wine industry. So I earned some, some wine certifications like sommelier certifications. I mean, what is the process for that? Is it super fun or stressful? It's super fun, but just... you have to memorize stuff and taste a lot of wine and be able to blind taste, which is tasting wine without knowing what it is and identify the country that it's from, the year that it is, what grape it is, what quality level it is, all by just tasting it and smelling it. What, what's the setting for something like that? Just um, trying to paint the picture. I mean, are you just in a room of other people? You're in a room of other people. There's three to six wines in front of you from uh, white to red light to bold huh. and you taste them within a, you have a certain amount of time to taste and identify all these characteristics wow do you pre-party for something like that <laughs> like, you, i wouldn't recommend it yeah. you spit the wine you don't drink it really oh i've been to napa twice and and both times i said both times both times it was not the best performance by me because i did not understand i just, all they have to eat there are this crackers too and so I would just like sample <laughs> stuff and eat it. And by the time the first tour was over, I was like, I think I need to go home. And all they have are these big like crackers you get like at uh, Capitol Grill. The so, breadsticks, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sophisticated. Yeah, breadsticks. That's what we call them. Anyway, so you did this and you yeah. you got your sommelier. Well, you, here's you, the thing about wine before we keep going. Yeah. There's, there's a really strong tendency in the wine industry mm-hmm. to overcomplicate wine. Wine is either delicious or not. And there's so much loveliness behind it. But like from a consumer's perspective, you either like it or you don't. Let's not make it overly complicated. Yeah. Well, but anyway, there's a, there's a lot in, in blind tasting. So anyway, I got some, some credentials and then I ended up getting a job in Sonoma, California for a little company that worked in the e-commerce space. What was it called? It's called Wine Country Connect. Okay. And so my job in that position was to go work with wineries in California, Oregon. Wait, this is after you retire from law with mm-hmm. your daughter? Mm-hmm. Okay. All yeah. right. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So your family moves to Napa? 
No, we didn't move. I, I commuted. Okay, I flew out it. there a couple times a month, and then I worked remotely. Got it. Okay, so you work for Wine Country Connect. And Wine Country it, Connect. It becomes something from a hobby to a passion to all of a sudden, what was the light bulb moment? Um, the light bulb moment was I started working in this job, and I realized I knew nothing about the business of wine. I just really knew how to be a good consumer hmm. and, a, and a good wine geek. And I learned that the wines that I loved were the wines that were not widely available at Tom Thumb or Whole Foods or Total Wine. They were the wines that were grown by families and made in very small lots. And those wines were really compelling and had a really cool story to tell, but people didn't know to look for them and people couldn't find them if they wanted to know to look for them. Hmm. And I thought these wines are really interesting and they have a, they should be, people should be drinking them. Do you feel like they tasted different to you? Yes. And, and, and is it because you were a sommelier and you had the experience or you think that, again, that wine that you had in France with your husband, it might not have been the world's best wine. It was just the setting made it the world's best wine. And do you feel like that's the experience you had when going to these smaller, more, more intimate locations versus just mass produced? Those are really great questions. Yeah. Here's, but let me, it's neither. Here's you know the difference. Like I know I, exactly yeah. what you're saying. Here's the difference. You know when you go to a farmer's market? Mm-hmm. And you, or you're, tr- you're walking along the produce aisle, and yep. you, you pick up a little tomato, and yeah. you eat that tomato. Yeah, it's the best tomato ever. But it actually does taste better. It is actually a really good tomato because yeah. it's grown on a farm by a real person. Yeah. Versus the tomato you get at like a, a, a big box store. Yeah. Hmm. Think about the difference in how those two products taste. Can I bring music into the qu- equation for Please. a second? Please. We're both music people. We are. Vinyl records are the homegrown tomatoes. Yes. Spotify is Kroger. Yes. You know, and, and again, I think that it's it's hard to find those parallels, but I, I totally get it and I relate. But I also think there's something special about listening to music on a record player that just gives you a different kind of experience yes. where it just tastes different. And I'm sure, you know, it's the same with, with grapes. It is. It is. And so I had this vision that there's all these small growers all around the world that are that are growing wines and making wines in a different way. And the thing that united them was how they grew the wine and how they made the wine. They didn't grow it with any chemicals, and they didn't produce it with any additives. They made it as naturally as possible, so it was really reflective of the time and place that it was grown. It's like lightning in a bottle. Like, just that time and place is bottled up to be enjoyed later. Hmm. It's just magic. Hmm. And I, and they they needed their idea to be commercialized, because otherwise it was never going to scale. And so they needed a brand to unite them. And so that's where the idea for our clean craft commitment came from. It's the branding that unites this, the shared values that all these growers around the world share. And that's why Scout and Cellar was started. That's why I started the company. Well, I mean, what year was this? I think we just pressed fast forward pretty quick. 2017, we did. So 2017, you had your moment where, again, part of the 2015, intro, I had my moment. Just took a hot minute to, like, get it going. So, but I'm, again, I mean, like, the, the statistically, what you've done in four years, what you guys have done in four years is amazing. But like anything, if, I, if like when I was doing real estate full time and somebody would complain about me selling their house too quick and they say, you, you took a, it took a day to sell this. And my dad would say, no, tell them it took, eight, it took 40 years or it took 40, 43 years to go and have the expertise to do that where I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, I should get a bonus. But with you, I mean, it was decades of experience, hands on mm-hmm. experience. It was, you know, experience in, in, living on a farm, California, Arizona. Being you know, a lawyer. Yeah, all that stuff. So I, yeah. I think that that was the buildup. But what was the moment where you realized that, oh, my gosh, how do I go and couple something that's good for you, healthier for you, mm-hmm. that can go and disrupt the big boxes and do it to scale? Um, it was when I had a rosé from 100-year-old vines that I was working with in my other business, and I shared it with friends, and I told the story, and it they said, I'll never drink any other rosé than this kind of rosé. Hmm. And I thought, wow. Before you had ownership in a wine company. Yeah. And I thought, this idea of telling the story of a unique wine that is grown and made in this way 
is a scalable idea and it empowers and grows small businesses around the world to continue to do what they're doing. That's, mm. That was the moment that did it. So walk us through the, the naming of the company, Scout and Seller. So um, I... Was it something where you guys were just at dinner and you're like, you know what, I'm going to start my own <laughs> wine company? No, of course not. Well, well not, I'm not, saying, but is it something like, obviously there was method behind what you decided is. to do, but what, what got you to the point in 2017 where you knew that this is what your calling was going to be in the world of business? So it started in 2015 kind of ideating, okay, like how is this going to work and, and what, how are we going to bring this to market? Decided to bring it to market using a direct-to-consumer model in e-commerce because there was a lot of opportunity in that space. And um, so came up with this, came up with a name for the brand. And I partnered with this great branding agency here in town and told them about the idea for the company and how we're going to be direct to consumer, you know, marketing, using a network of independent consultants representing our brand and why we were going to do that. And they were like, this sounds amazing. And I brought them some wine and they're like, this is the best wine I've ever had. Hmm. Is it because they were drinking on the job? And no, it was, it was like a five, but maybe. I'm kidding. Um, and they said, well, what's the name of the company? And I said, it's called Wine Retriever. And they all looked at me. <laughs> and they said, that sounds like something that we would buy at Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, not going to disagree. Yeah. So that's not going to work for this company. So let us name it for you. Huh. And I said, well, hold on. Hold on. I had just listened to the Sarah Blakely How I Built This podcast. I don't know if you've listened to that. Spanx? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she, she named her company and she... Had do you this. like how I adjusted myself? I do not have on Spanx, but I did it like I was, I was like Spanx, and I literally went straight. I went straight for my shorts. I'm not wearing Spanx. Sorry. Anyway, so how I built this was Sarah Blakely. So, so she she named her own company and went through this process. So I was inspired by her process, and I said, just give me a week to name the company because we we're under some timeline to get things launched. I'm sure. And um and so they said fine. Like you're naming a dog. You named yeah. So went off, you know, and wrote down all these names and all these things and. And so finally, over a text message, Matthew and I named the company. And so Scout means the first to find, to discover, to be out in front of, and to report back and share the good news. Oh, I love that. Cellar is a place you keep your wine. It's also a place you store things to save, to enjoy later. Huh. It's also the act of selling something. Wow. I love that. Yeah. That's a, I actually did not know that story. So Scout and Cellar was born. Yes. So then it was what? born. So then we had to. Did I call your husband Thomas earlier on no, this? No. Okay, you said I was like it's Patrick. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's Matthew. Wait, hold on. We're I, just going through all the Irish Catholic I, names. Yeah, why That's did great. I? Who's Patrick? I don't know. I don't know either. Well, Patrick. We'll, we'll meet Patrick sometime. Yeah, if you're watching this, Patrick, <laughs> you're on my mind. Thomas. <laughs> Matthew. I know, but who's Thomas? I don't know. The uh, train. Yeah, listen, Thomas, if you're watching. <laughs> Good Lord. Anyway, sorry. Okay, so Patrick. Matthew. My God. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be funny at this point. Uh, so anyway, so what happened then? Matthew. It's good. Yeah, we got it. You're, it's right here. Yeah, you're good. Patrick. Okay, sorry. Rogers. Matthew. Matthew. And you, okay, you, you named the company. And we then named again, the company. Like business plan. What was it like being a first time husband and wife, founding family with two children, and all of a sudden you're about to enter the space of alcohol in an industry that pretty much has never been disrupted. That's the industry. I mean, is that a bold statement or no? No, it's a true statement. The industry is not disrupted and it's slow to adapt, slow to evolve. It's not an innovative industry. Hmm. And so Matthew is actually still practicing law at the time. I know. Patrick? Patrick. Okay. Thomas. Patrick Thomas. Was actually still practicing law um, 
because someone had to pay the bills. Yeah, for sure. So he was doing that. And then so we, we had a go-to-market strategy. We spent the summer before we launched in August of 2017 kind of driving around Texas and sharing Scout and Cellar wines with people, telling the story of who we are, why we existed, and what we were going to do. And we launched the company. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to Can I ask? If, I've yeah. never really asked founders this. How many times do you think you had to tell that story? Uh, and this was out the intention of raising money. No, we this were just was raising awareness. We were we were literally in people's homes oh. between, with between 20 and 50 people telling the story of why we existed, who we were, what we were, what we were going to do and many, just pouring wine. How many times do you think you did that? That summer? Uh, 50? Really? Did it get not old, but was it was it hard to get excited? No, because people we were getting feedback yeah. and I wasn't comfortable telling the story. I mean, at this point I've told the story a lot. Yeah. But I still love telling it cuz it's different every time. Yeah. But at that point, I was, you know, not comfortable telling the story. It was yeah. so new. It was a different audience each night. It was interactive. No, it was, um, it was, it was exciting. How did you find and the scary. homes to get into? So we had a kind of a group of core initial like sales leaders huh. that opened doors, led those meetings. Um, yeah. Good. So when we launched the company on August thirtieth, two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen, we had like, you know, we we sold a little bit of wine and then we had an initial group of you know sales consultants that signed up that day i think 35 or 40 signed up that first day did you have the business plan to have it where it was structured where i don't know what the fancy term would be but everyone fed off each other it goes back to you know feed me feed you what's what's the fancy term the way that you have it structured yeah we have like so we have it so the reason we went to so we're an e-commerce company we were creating this whole new kind of wine and the reason we use a a social selling model social selling is yeah yeah, is because of who buys wine and why Haley and i are the primary buyers of wine and we buy wine and your and your wife and i we, we buy wine based on three things what our friends are drinking the story behind the wine and the label hmm and so we're launching this whole new kind of wine, clean crafted wine, and we wanted to create traction and to launch the brand and to empower others to be a part of the story, to really kind of go differently than the rest of the wine industry. And so we wanted to, to divest in, in, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So the more people you give opportunity to, then the more people can win and the more you'll win. Huh. So that was kind of the whole idea behind the model. Love it. And, um, and so that's, you Was know, that just your theory though? I mean, so yes. You- I mean, but it makes sense. So what your friends drink, the label, and what what was the third? The story behind the wine. It wasn't my, that wasn't my theory. That was marketing data oh, okay, out in the, cool. in, in the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we leveraged those truths, and that's why, that's why I picked this business model, and, and it took off. We sold out of wine in like three weeks. Really? So did you embrace, <laughs> again, a, a, a question that is, is so, I'm sure, chancy, but the, the female founder in you, did you embrace this role where you were going up against you know, generations of families that have done this before that maybe don't have the background that you have. And was that something that just gave you a different, a different reason to wear the cape? In the beginning, Rogers, I didn't even think about that. It was basically like, do we have wine? Are we going to make it? Can we fulfill these orders? It was very tactical. Yeah. I think in the last couple of years, I thought about it a lot more, especially as we've grown. Hmm. But in the beginning, no. Have you gone a day since 2017 without drinking wine? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, absolutely. Do you ever find yourself, it's like, I guess people that play pro sports, it's hard to really like sports. Do you still love wine? I still love wine. Yeah, fair. Okay. I good, still love wine. Good, good question. Yes, that okay. is a good question. Okay, so at what point did you feel like you had some momentum and, and you had these people that were literally letting you into their house, which is which is awesome. You had 50 people, you give them yeah. free wine, they show up. But <laughs> at what point you were reaching critical mass? And again, the, what I said at the intro, she's really, they're four years into this company, which is not 
a long time as, as a, you know, as a startup, but it's obviously they've turned the corner and they're, they're, they're here. But when did you realize you had something that was able to, to be, you know, grown? I think, you know, after the first six or seven months, when the, when the momentum kept building, we realized that this was something that we, we could scale and, and continue to grow. Um, and so, yeah, after the first six months, you sold out in how long? Three weeks. Okay, and then you had your first your first employee was with I mean within the first hour. Yeah, we had two and a half employees when we launched. Two and a half. Mm-hmm. Part time. A employee. kid or something. Part time. Oh, okay, <laughs> like you'd wait for them to turn twenty. No, they're not employees. They're just yeah. they're just free helpers. F- fair enough. Um, <laughs> do you remember your first moment where it was uh it was it was real life? It was an obstacle. And again, oh. you're in the business. And we had lunch. It was an awesome lunch. And I I kind of was fanboying questions. And I was like, you know what? We need to turn this to a podcast. Did you have a moment where you were in the business of uh, not selling alcohol, but I don't know how you how you phrased it at lunch, but liability, right? The liability is not on you. It's on the salesperson, right? Yeah. Did you ever have a moment where you, I don't know, you're scared? Oh, so many moments when I've been scared. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. That we're not going to, we're not going to meet the customer's expectations. We're not going to serve the consultant in the way that they're, that they're, they're expecting. Um, in terms of alcohol liability, no, I haven't. You know, we tr- no, I haven't. Um, our, Great. Yeah. Leave it at that. We're not going to even expand on it because I'm not. No. Gonna, I'm not going to jinx it. So you, you started building these brands, and how many different flavors and, and skews did you have? You know, week one. So we, in the beginning of the company, we we were sourcing wine that was made by other wineries that met the Clean Craft Commitment standard, which um, it, wines that are grown without synthetic pesticides, made without synthetic additives and are very low in sulfites and no added sugar so that's the standard so i remember when y'all first came out taylor and mallory essentially said i'm not going to have a hangover if i drink the wine unless you have three or four bottles correct you know, i think that 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 actually it, it tasted i think i woke up psychologically i'm like there's no way i'm going to feel foggy because this wine really is better for you it, it, but, yes and, and so that's how you kind of started to build your brand within the community is that was your disruption other than having the, the salespeople through the social circle it mm-hmm. was truly a healthier thing which how did you master that to scale? I mean, people would offer their testimonials about mm-hmm. how differently it made them feel. We had people that are that would have allergic reactions to commercially produced wines that weren't having that with our wines. Diabetics that actually their blood sugar would actually drop when they drank our wines would offer their testimonials. I mean, crazy. Rogers, th- th- that was not stuff I expected. Mm. Really, was just trying to market a product that's empirically better. I mean, when I say empirically better, I mean is empirically more delicious. I mean, one of the most important tenets of the Clean Craft Commitment is, yes, it's got to be farmed and made in a certain way because that's better for the planet, but it's also got to be better for the consumer. It's got to be objectively more delicious. And so we actually taste test every wine, and we don't release it unless it passes a certain deliciousness threshold. And there's just a study that was released yesterday, two days ago, about uh, sustainably farmed and produced wines, organic, biodynamic wines that are, like, clean crafted. Um, They, in terms of professional scoring those types of wines score six and a half percent higher than commercially made wines wow they're six and a half percent more delicious than regular wines so our wines are six and a half percent more delicious than regular wines at a minimum does the wine taste better when you own it (laughs) the wine i think i think not necessarily i think you're a little more critical of it because you're like could this be better how could it be better really I think it's fun. Like in Mizzen in Maine, which is this clothing company that we're thankfully a part of, I wear I wear them every day, and I think it just fits so much better in a large part because I'm an investor in the company. But hmm. I might look wait. It's maybe be that's the difference between an investor and an operator. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a reason I'm always critical. I don't ever watch the stuff for the real estate companies. I just kind of turn the other cheek because I'm afraid there's going to be something I don't like, or it's going to embarrass me, or 
yeah or, or change my mind okay let's get to the question that um, um, everyone's asked on here for the most part especially in cpg COVID. Right, 2017, 2018, 2019, all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, we're building something here. You had 7,000 people, 10,000 people, COVID hits, yep. right? What was the headspace that you guys were in and, and how did you adjust and how did you actually get through it? So COVID hits, we were, our go-to-market strategy before COVID was uh, in-person tastings. So COVID hits and that's immediately off the table. How many people at the time did you guys have representing your company? Um, I think 7,000. 7,000. Okay, so COVID hits and what happens? And um, we created an opportunity for consultants to join our community for a, a different price than had been available previously. I think it was $50 cheaper than what had been available. I think it had been $249. I think we made it available for $199. This is in April of 2020. 20. And we had more, f- more people join the Scout and Seller community in April of 2020 than had joined the entire year of 2019. No way. And that was wonderful, except that it was also not. Because you ran out of wine? Because it was incredibly challenging operationally. So what'd you do? We did the best we could in terms of fulfilling orders, managing expectations, making sure our technology was working, um, creating content for everybody, converting trainings to empower people to taste digitally and virtually, creating content for all the wines, making more wine, sourcing more wine, making sure we didn't run out of wine. Um, beefing up our inventory. Um, It was wonderful to create that community during COVID when so many people really needed it. Um, But it was also very challenging for the business. I can imagine. So get us to the other side of it. Get get us to kind of where you are now as a company. And I want to talk about the other extensions and the other verticals, but you're on the other side of it. Where where are you now? Like what kind of growth mode are you guys in? It's been three years. You have literally twice as many employees. And and I mean, how, how do you go and even work on the next level of growth given the amount you've already had. And you don't even have competitors. No. There's no one else in the space, which I think is really awesome for the ego. But that's also hard. I think it's hard gotta, when there's not a comp. Got to be ready. Yeah, you got to be ready. So I'm saying like, so what, what, where are you guys now at as a company on the wine side? We are, we are continuing to do what we've always done, which is make the best, most delicious wine for the consumer and continue to provide the best opportunity for our consultant community and deliver to our customers the best experience. Um, we have made our wine club program about a thousand times better since 2020. Um, and we, um, our, our operations are better than ever. We partnered with the leading global fulfillment, wine fulfillment company in January of this year. And that has, among all the other things we've done as a company, Rogers, that's been it's changed your life. It's been amazing. It's just the ultimate 3PL. It's sound, they, they've took over our fulfillment operations in Dallas and partnered with us. And we had, here's the thing I'm the most proud of. I care immensely about my people, mm. um, as I think probably all people here on your podcast do. Because people, you know, caring about your people is, is how you win. Yeah. And then showing them that you care. Um, we had 36 fulfillment employees that worked in our warehouses, many of whom had worked there for two, three, four, five years. Wow. Um, when we partnered with this 3PL called Wine Direct. It's been a really great partner of ours. They gave all these employees job offers to go work at Wine Direct. They gave them a pay increase and increased their benefits. Wow. So it was a win-win for everybody. Everybody wins. So, so proud of that. So stoked for that. So that's been great because it turns out we were okay at the fulfillment business. Not awesome, but Wine Direct's awesome. So now our customers are getting much better benefits, much better service. Um, so it's great. I love it. That's powerful. I think that as a business owner, it's more important to find out what you suck at than what you potentially could be great at. Exactly. And y'all, y'all are doing that at hyper speed, seriously. And I, I didn't understand this stuff until way later. And maybe it was ego, but also ignorance that I just thought as an owner, as a founder, as an operator, I was supposed to do 
everything. Mm -hmm. And then I just kept starting over and I was like, this sucks. Holy crap. The common thread was me. Yep. And then I had to, again, uh, learn, learn my way, learn my way out of it. I did the same thing in many instances too. Yeah. Well, but you're smarter than me. So is your Mm -hmm. husband, Thomas Matthew Patrick. (laughs) Talk about the other, uh, the other opportunities here, right? Again, what goes perfect with wine, coffee the next day, right? So what was, what was that kind of moment where you realize you have a captive audience and out of the 16,000 representatives for your company, how many people do you think you guys are actually touching on a yearly basis? Um, with coffee? No, just in general. I mean, like with the wine, how many, how many potential, what's, what's your, what's your market you already have established? Not your TAM, but like what, what's the yeah. group of people you've already actually worked, represented? So we've got 16,000 active consultants and about half a million customers in a, at about in any given year, about half of those are active. So pretty meaningful, great community of folks that are really interested in what we're doing. And that's just in the direct to consumer side. 250,000 people. Uh-huh. That's not bad. It's, yeah, we're really grateful for the community that we built and really proud of our independent consultants for doing that with us. So like most entrepreneurs, you have a tiger by the tail and mm-hmm. you say, I want another tiger. I want to go and actually try to get another tiger by the tail. And then the coffee was born. Exactly. But we look at it a little bit differently. We look at it, how can we improve an industry by elevating the way people think about it and look at it? You know, all coffee's grown on the, in the poverty belt. And so creating an opportunity to, to grow and, and support a better for you way of farming and pay a fair wage to the folks that are farming it is really what Scouting Grounds is all about. Hmm. So really trying to approach coffee with the same mindset that we did wine and creating a better option for people that's better for the planet, better for them. And um, so, yeah, we're really grateful to be in the coffee space and learning more about it every day. What's next? Wine, coffee, what, what's in between? Sleeping pills? We also have all... <laughs> no, that's, that's not. wine. I guess that's wine, yeah. No. <laughs> not too much. Energy drinks. I guess you have coffee. I mean, we have cooking. Cool? We have a cooking line. So we have olive oil and vinegar that's seasonally available. So we work with growers in Spain and, and Italy uh, for, for those products, and it's delicious. Similar wow. principles, agricultural products. Very cool. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what's next. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? My grandfather used to say Grandpa Bernhardt is his name, and we named our most premium wine brand after him. It's called Bernhardt. Oh, cool. Um, he always used to say it's only temporary. Huh. I love that. And, you know, it's I, I should have written it on my wall, Rogers, because it's so true. Everything is only temporary. The good stuff, the bad stuff. And it helps keep perspective. That mm. It reminds you to enjoy the good, get through the bad because it's going to be over soon. Yeah. And make sure you just learn lessons from both. I love that. I like it's only temporary. Um, Okay, you're uh, only allowed one glass of wine the rest of your life. What is it and why? It's probably some really nice coastal Chardonnay or or high altitude Chardonnay. See, that's where you lose me. What does that mean? Like Chardonnay with a little bit of oak and like some good acidity. Okay. We'll taste it in a little bit. Okay. So, uh, what's the what's it called? What's the what you got to middle Jane middle Jane Chardonnay. Middle Jane Chardonnay. And what would you pair that with? Hmm? Um, cheese. Life. Crackers. Sure. Life or roast chicken. Roast chicken. How really? about roast chicken? Okay. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you get to enjoy a bottle of wine with anybody in the history of the world that is relatively famous. Who is it? Barack Obama. What kind of wine? Mm, uh, a middle Jane Pinot Noir. Wow. Okay. You're allowed to hit any celebrity over the head with an empty bottle of wine. Who is it? <laughs> Whew. Um, I don't know. I don't have a lot of anger for I don't anybody. Need, I, don't, I don't need that. I just I thought it was I don't know. I love bottle. it. That's a good one, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, if, you're, uh, if Scott and Seller was a celebrity, who would it be? These were not on the pre-questions. Oh, that's just... okay. I, I love these. Um... It's like a, a person for everybody. Right? I know. Like a healthy, like Hugh Jackman. 
maybe would yeah. be Scout and Seller. He's so inviting. Or John Travolta 20 years ago. Hugh Jackman meets Taylor Swift. Wow. Okay. How about that? Yeah, she's old enough to drink now, too. and she'll, well, She's she'll... 33. Taylor Swift is not 33. She is. Unbelievable. Wow. Okay, so uh, you look back, and, and you and Matthew and Thomas and Patrick in, <laughs> in 50 years, and you've done all this stuff. You've impacted so many families' lives, and you've brought literal joy. You've brought literal caffeine. You've brought them opportunity. What are you most proud of? the impact that we've had on people's lives. And here's a follow-up loaded question. Mm -hmm. How do you go and actually take a step back and enjoy that without just continuing to go and wake up? My biggest problem, balance, right? It's 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 damn near impossible. There is no balance. Like I hear 16,000, I'm like, well, I want 17,000, right, of the right people. How do you go and actually enjoy that without getting lost in the, in the middle of it? I, To be honest, I don't know. I'm struggling with that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to, I'm competitive. I ran I played yeah. college sports. I want to, even if, if we were playing a board game right now, even if it was friggin' shoots and ladders, I yeah. would want to beat you. No, I'm wearing Spanx. Yeah. yeah. No. So I would want to win. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to find balance. I, I hope someday I can, I can find that. I mean, I think the best thing I can do right now is write down things I'm grateful for Yeah. and, um, be around my family and, you know, unplug with them as best as I can. I'm really grateful for my family. Same. Yeah. So that, that's really what I do to, to Your time. That's, that's the best I can do right now. No, yeah. And I, again, I don't know if I'm the best or the worst person to talk about it, but I don't know how to turn it off. And my mind is always thinking and as jacked up as it sounds, I program my dreams. Now I go to bed thinking about something and I have to be like, all right, it can't be work related. Then I'll wake up. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I think that's, again, the blessing and the curse of being a visionary is that you are never going to be completely satisfied, which for what it's worth, if there was an end goal, it wouldn't be fun. Right, because then you get Agreed. there. What the hell do you do? Last question, um, second to last question. Your advice for a potential founder, someone who has a big. This is big. This is big. This is a really, really big idea. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time, a lot of resources, but you did it, and you're doing it, and you're growing. And hopefully, there's opportunities to grow way outside of this. But what is your advice for someone that has an ounce of Sarah in them? Start. Hmm. Start. But don't sell the farm until you've gotten far enough down the road to know if the idea can work. Hmm. But also try to find folks that you can surround yourself with. It doesn't have to be the same people throughout the whole journey that can give you good advice. Hmm. I love that. Last question. How long have we gone? Have we been 20 minutes yet? 42. <laughs> Has it really? Mm -hmm. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. Um, you can cut some of it. No, no. We're no, there's out. nothing to cut. Last question. How do we best support you? How do we go and find the wine, find the coffee, find Sarah, support the journey, and be a part of the growth? Thank you for that. Yeah. Scoutandcellar.com. All of our wines are there. Our scouting grounds coffee's there. We're also sold in a couple of retail outlets, including Target. We're also available at Eno's here in Dallas and at, uh, uh, yeah, Target and Eno's. Um, and yeah. Cool. Scoutandcellar.com. Do you guys have social media? We've got social media. we got Instagram. we got LinkedIn. We've got Facebook. Wow. Yeah. I love it. And have you had any of your coffee today? Yes, three cups. <laughs> Can you tell? Yeah, fair, fair enough. Well, uh, I'm, I'm such a big fan and I'm so grateful. And, and, and funny enough, I literally ran into her in an elevator and I was like, there's something cool about her. And then my buddy Trey was like, that's Sarah. I was like, who's Sarah? He's like, that's the Sarah from Scout and Cellar. I was like, no way. And next thing you know, we're friends. And it, it's just fun being a fan and, and, and proud of you guys and excited to be a supporter. And um, literally, literally cheers. Um, so scoutandseller.com, check them out. Scout and Seller on social media. And for y'all that have interest in joining their social circle, what's the best way to apply? 
Um, go to scoutandseller.com and, and you can check out, you know, join as a consultant or, and you can find consultants in your area and, and you can l- learn more about what we're doing and what we're all about. Love it. And, and is there any uh, geographic uh, locations that are not in play with, with A couple of states, yep. Okay, cool. Stay tuned. By the time this airs, it's going to be unlocked. Utah, one of them probably? Utah, Mississippi, Arkansas, New Hampshire. Well, they don't have internet in Mississippi and Arkansas. They're not going to be able to see this anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. Pig suey, hotty toddy. Okay, that's it. Thank you guys very much. <laughs> Thank you, Rogers.